but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> so here's travel tips. All right, um, um, long-time listeners know that I am a uh, pretty regular traveler uh, on the airlines. And came across this interesting travel tip recently, all right? And that is that if your flight is going to be severely delayed, you can just volunteer to fly it yourself. Absolutely. I've done that several times. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. As someone said, it's a variation on, on uh, you know, try the fish or what is it? Uh, have the fish. Have the fish, right? Have the fish, of course, being this uh, um, sort of meme that I think Steve Tupper came up with. Yeah, um, I think it was Tupper. Where on an airline flight, he, he, he urges the pilots to have the fish in the hopes that they will be po- food poisoned and, and Steve will be called up to the cockpit to uh, fly the airplane. Um, so this is... Uh, this is a little variation on that. This is a, a, a flight in some place. I don't know, not in the U.S., but a flight um, in England. England to like was it to Australia or it was just to I don't know wherever it was to Manchester, England, Alicante, Spain to Spain. Okay, and uh, um, and there was a scheduling snafu in terms of uh, flight crews, um, and apparently the only person who was missing was the captain. It sounds like there was a first officer present, all right? But the captain is missing, all right? And the captain's going to be missing for a long time, all right? And so one of the passengers on the aircraft, turns out, is in fact a captain for that airline, all right? Um, and he notices as this is going on, and he realizes that he and his wife and his kid or kids are about to be massively delayed on their way to their vacation. And so he gets on the telephone to whoever, their their dispatcher or whatever, and says, listen, here's the deal. It's really delayed. I'm here. I can fly. I got my ID. I'm in shape. You know, I mean, everything's hunky-dory if you guys are okay with it, and if you're okay with me flying in civilian clothes. All right. And... Uh, and uh, apparently the uh, dispatch people came back to him in about, well, he said it's 68 seconds or something silly like that. But basically pretty quickly, they came back and said, yes, do it. And uh, and so... Uh, and yeah, then it took them a long time to think about it, though. Yeah, cool. well... Uh, you <laughs> 30 know, seconds. <laughs> there's a YouTube video that shows... Uh, that shows this uh, fill-in captain um, standing at the front of the uh, main cabin, talking on the public address, explaining this whole thing, and saying, "So, are you okay with, all right, with you know, with us not being delayed, with me flying in civilian clothes, you know, so that we're not delayed?" And he got like a almost a standing ovation, as you might <laughs> imagine. <laughs> it's like, yes, yes, but you know, so I'd be sitting there going. Really? How do I know this guy is really a captain? How do I? What's who's who's vetted this thing? I'm I'm a little I don't know. I I but see then I'm a I'm a ironically I'm a timid airline flyer, and uh, so I would I would be suspicious. Why or, is that? Uh, because I can't see out the front window. I I I, I, I you know. Jeb, you and I have had t- this conversation. I've explained this. I I I believe. Uh, see, this is really going to get into deep deep stuff here. Go ahead. Or not, I, you know. We, we can. I believe that riding on an airliner is sort of like playing Russian roulette. All right, I believe that you're playing Russian roulette with about a million chamber gun, um, and you're basically saying, "I will magic." You know, the, the, the mystics are saying, "We will magically get you to your destination." All right, but you've got to put this million chamber gun to your head and pull the trigger. All right, and if you live, you arrive. All right. See, I don't like the I don't like the chances. I don't like the odds. I don't like that I have no control. It's like the other. There's the other metaphor. Here's the other metaphor. Um, um, 
Schrodinger's airplane, airline passenger, right? This is Schrodinger's airline yeah, passenger. I get, I get it. I get it. Okay. It's like once I go into that airline cabin and once they close the door, I am both dead and alive. All right. <laughs> because, you know, whether or not I arrive a li- as a living creature, all right, whether I'm able to leave alive uh, is totally out of my hands. All right. I have no influence on it at all. Have the fish aside. Okay. Well, uh, y- yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say. Now, first of all, they don't serve fish that that often anymore. <laughs> they don't serve anything that often anymore. <laughs> That's yeah. true too. But yeah, too. yeah. Um, um, they serve. They probably serve fish in first class, and I don't want those folks flying my airplane. So no, I don't want either. You know. Yeah, um, but so that's where. Yeah. 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 I, I I'm 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 parsing all of this, and and you know, I don't really have any pithy comment for you right now. <laughs> it's because I'm right. That's all there is to it. it well, I, uh, my experience is is completely different. Um, I get on the airplane. I know what kind it is. I know where my seat is, um, and I know that um, there are very few other pilots on board, except you know the two guys up front. Yeah. Um, and I will kind of you know keep an eye open or or an ear peeled, just for the general what's going on kind of things. Um, you know, I'll notice you know, on a long range, on a long flight, I'll notice, for example, when they increase power to step climb to a more efficient altitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll notice, obviously, when they, you know, um, lower flaps, lower gear, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'll, I'll notice when they leave cruising altitude, which invariably, in my experience, is roughly 30 minutes from touchdown. And that's my, been my experience as well. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I really don't care that much. You know, I, it is so far removed being in the cabin of a, of an airliner is so far removed from the kind of flying that the, the three of us do and many of our listeners do that it's just a different experience altogether. It's more of a bus ride to me. Oh, well, totally is. But my point being that it's a bus ride that where you you have no influence on the outcome. I mean, as a as a pilot, well, sure I do. You know, sure I do. Like if, what? If it if it all goes into the crapper, um, what you're going to break down the cabin door and fly the thing safely? No, home? I'll knock on the door and say, "May I be of assistance?" It's like the it's like the yeah. the, uh, the Dirty Harry movie where he's you know yeah. at the airport and and um, uh, there's a hijacking, and he's like, "May I be of assistance?" <laughs> and he ends up shooting the hijackers, of course. But. <laughs> yeah, of course, through the bulkhead, okay. through the bulkhead, <laughs> through right. the bulkhead. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, okay. I see. I don't, I don't have that confidence. <laughs> it's not a question of my skills. I just don't believe that I would be allowed to influence the situation. I it's, was on a flight one time. Uh, I don't know. You know. Yeah, I was on a little. I was on a little uh, uh, a regional. Um, aircraft. It was wasn't even a biz. It wasn't even a regional jet. It was like one of these little uh, um, turboprop twins. Um, and we were flying back from probably like Philadelphia back to Manchester. Um, and about and it's like you said, Jeb. You know, you you kind of know what the procedures ought to be, right? And about and I'm sort of following along. However, it was I was following along out the window or whatever. And and about halfway to our destination, all right, they kind of 
made a 360 degree, or 180 degree turn, all right? And I'm going, what the heck is this all about, all right? And after a couple of minutes, the pilot captain comes on the intercom and says um, that we've, we've discovered a mechanical problem uh, in the aircraft. And, and, and here's the real gotcha, all right? Here's, this, was, this really kind of annoyed me, all right? He said, he said, we've discovered a mechanical, we're getting an indication up here that there's a mechanical problem, all right? And we don't have any mechanic resources at Manchester, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. So we're turning around and going back to Philadelphia, all right? And I'm going, well, no, what are you talking about? All right, we're closer to Manchester than we are to Philadelphia. I'm sorry if it's going to cost you more money to fix it, all right? But, um, yeah, so we turned around, and we made a, a somewhat um, non-stand. We kind of descended, and um, it was, it was for me, I found it stressful. Um, it, it made me nervous. Um, and we did, in fact, get back to wherever it was, Philadelphia or whatever. Did they happen to share with you what the mechanical problem was? I don't, I certainly don't recall. Uh, they, I don't know if they did or not. Um, and, uh, but it wasn't anything you, you could notice just s- sitting in the back, not the, like an no. engine falling off. Or... Yeah, no, no, I, I, you know, I, hmm. So let me I want to say you. it was a landing gear error. I don't know. I don't recall. I don't recall. Um, all I know is that they said we're not going on to our destination, which is closer. All right. Because there's no mechanics there. And I'm going, well, tough. All right. <laughs> really? You know, um, you know, forget it. Land at Hartford. Let's get on the ground here. All right. You know, and uh, so anyways, that made me nervous. I'm a, like I said, I'm a I'm a nervous airline flyer. Go ahead, David. Well, that brings up a question. You, you feel like you get on an airliner and, you know, there's a million chamber uh, Russian roulette game going on. Do you feel the same way about the several hundred thousand things that could go wrong on a piston engine single? Um, I, I, I'm certainly aware that things can go wrong. The difference is that I feel like I have more influence into the outcome. Um, you know, Jeb, when I go flying with you, which is the most common example lately of me flying where I'm not the pilot, um, is uh, first of all, I have I know you, Jeb, all right? And so I, although I generally trust airline pilot crews, um, I don't know them. They're very, they're, you know, they're, they're black boxes to me. I know you, Jeb. I know I have a, 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 an understanding of your sense of caution and, and, and precision and whatnot. And, and I can watch the monitor, the flight. I'm sitting in the front. I can look right. out the front window. Right. I can watch the panel. All right. I mean, I have a much more complete sense of where we are. And, you know, um, um, Clint Eastwood aside, I, I believe that if I, if I observe something going wrong, I would have much more influence in a in the decision making process to maybe land or or whatever. So yeah, yeah David, I get that it's also unsafe. But I, as a as a no, no, know, I didn't say unsafe. Yeah, well, you said unsafe. I don't I, say unsafe. I, I, I unsafe is a uh, yeah is a is a wild wild card. Well, word, and, but and, and if you look at the records so far, you've survived a hundred percent of your airline flights. Yeah, I know, I know. But see, that's, that means I'm getting closer and closer to the bad one. I know it's that's not. And you survived a hundred percent of your flights with Jeb. <laughs> well, that's that's a matter of that's you know what what <laughs> huh. Yeah. Go, go ahead, uh, go ahead, <laughs> fill that out a little bit more. I, I, I don't look at flights with Jeb as a totally binary thing. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> so we're back to the to the uh, vinyl versus CD thing. Yeah, I guess it's, we yes, are. It's, it's not analog. It's not I guess digital. We are. It's, it's 
I guess we um, are. You don't look at flying. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna, this will come up with the next board meeting. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. It will. I'm sure it will. The only other criticism before you say welcome, folks. The only uh-huh. other criticism I would I would only only other observation, not criticism, that I would share would be your use of the word small to describe a regional turboprop. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, small. So yeah, that's I, I, that's, I know size, what you're saying. that's sizeism. That's I, exactly uh, right. It's sizeism. Sizeism. It's elitism. You fly in my debonair, which is a much, you know, it, size isn't everything, of course. Um, but uh, you fly in my debonair, and it's <laughs> physically less imposing than, say, a Dash 8 or an ATR or something yes. like that, which in turn is physically less imposing than an Airbus or a Boeing. Yes. Um, I know we've had si- this, size yeah. is relative. It is. And, 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 and that's my, literally my point. All right. Is that I was using the word size as a relative term, not an absolute term here. All right. Here, well, here's, they, here's another way to look at it. Yeah. The yokes are pretty much always the same size. Yeah. Okay. And here's, here's how I explain this to me. I get on airplanes, you know, infrequently airliners infrequently. And, uh, Occasionally, I'll be sitting next to a passenger who watches a, a GA airplane taxis out. And why do they get to go ahead of us? We should be here. We were here they, first. They, we were they here called first. first. And it's like, well, there's probably a traffic spacing issue going on here. Or they haven't released this airplane to go because they don't have it space for it in the next sector or something like that. But, you know, it's no big deal. Well, I wouldn't want to be in that little airplane. You know, they crash all the time. And I said, you know, I'd rather be in a little airplane when it lost the engine than a big airplane when it lost its engines. Yeah. Why? The, the, the big ones, the bigger one's safer. No, it's not. The bigger one's carrying hundreds, thousands times more kinetic energy when it gets to the ground. And all that kinetic energy has got to be expelled somehow or another. It's got to be absorbed. And very often, the passengers are the one who absorb a lot of it. Yeah. That's why they die. <laughs> Oh, now they're really freaked out. Yeah. They're pushing the call button. Can I get a different seat, please? (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Could you move this guy? I don't want to sit next to him. And I I tell the flight attendant, I'd be glad to move uh, front front seat, left or right. I don't care. Uh, I'll I'll even sit in the jump seat. I don't know. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we've solved that problem then. Okay, good. I I suspect it'll rear its ugly head again. I think it probably will. I think it probably will. Um, But in the meantime, Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled <laughs> Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from uh, along the banks of the beautiful Cochigo River in, in Dover, New Hampshire. Cochigo? Uh, Cochico. 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 A bunch of C's in there. C-O-C-H-E-C-H-O or C-O, depending on which misspelling you, you like. Um, and uh, I'm talking to you with my two good friends in our in our virtual hangar. Um, w- one of those voices you're hanging out there is from uh, from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. That's Dave Higdon. Good morning, David. How you doing? Oh, so far, so far. Uh, yeah. yeah, lovely morning. Uh, wish I didn't have to work. I'd go to the airport. Uh, but got to pay the bills. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And <laughs> heavens knows the, the bill-paying activity has been plentiful here lately so I, good for you glad to hear it yeah. things are pretty quiet in my world in that regard um the good news is i've been able to actually do airplane things and which i'll talk about in a second but uh, um 
Well, so, if I uh, can finish today's project today, that'll be the sixth feature I've finished since Monday a week ago. Wow. Man, that's busy. That's good, Dave. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm glad. Because the life of a freelance writer is not always beautiful. It's not always pretty. Um, speaking of not always pretty. <laughs> 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 oh, segue did you go, George. Uh, <laughs> From, oh, we're, we're going to have to have a special board meeting. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. From somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, this is my beautiful friend, Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing this morning? I, I've been better. Um, uh, I've certainly been uh, respected more more often. Um, yeah. <laughs> But otherwise, I'm good. I'm not working nearly as hard as Mr. Higdon, but uh, um, that's not that's not new. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, um, I'm actually kind of looking forward. We're supposed to get some, like a cold front <laughs> come through okay. Florida. And wow, it's going to go down to what sixty? It's it, they're saying highs in the eighties tomorrow. Ooh. Uh, which will be like uh, fall like weather for Florida. So I, I will. Um, I will I'm looking only, forward to this. Yeah, I will only reference your earlier comments on the term small um, to apply them to cold. But okay. Yes, yes, everything is relative. Yeah, yeah. Everything so. is relative. And and just for the record, I'm not related to either of these guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so... That's, so. so that's the extent of the weather talk, huh? Wow, okay, all right, well... Um, let me give you an update here. Um, uh, update. This is kind of crowing. I'm very happy about this. All right. And that is I got my flight review signed off yesterday. Hey, congratulations. So, uh, so I'm, I'm almost ready to go flying. Um, my instructor, I keep, every, you know, he knows this, but of course he's an instructor. He talks to a lot of people and he doesn't necessarily keep these things in his head from one flight to the next. And we were, we had, we had, we had just landed after doing the, the, you know, the flying work yesterday. Um, and and he said, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sign you off. He said, and then he was starting to give me some you know tips. That he says you should go easy on this, and you should go easy on that, and maybe we should get a little bit more instruction on this. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, good, good. Um, and then I said, but you you know that I can't be pilot in command for another week and a half at least um, because I don't have my medical yet, um, and that's uh, that's coming up. It'll happen. It's no problem. It's just that was the earliest I could get a doctor's appointment. I'm gonna do. I'm, I am in doing basic med, and uh, when I've completed that, I will report back on how that process went and my, I, i'd like i like to hear your story yeah um and uh, it's i'll just say right now that it's going totally routinely so far anyways i um you know i, I the kind of variable or unknown at this stage of the game is how my doctor is going to react i had a preliminary conversation with him about it um some months back and uh he didn't anticipate and i didn't it didn't sound like there was going to be any issues but uh, um, I don't think he's ever done one of these basic med things. He does. So apparently if you're like a truck driver or things like that, um, these kinds of Department of Transportation medical questionnaires come up all the time. That's true. Um, and so he says that he does what he referred to as DOT medicals all the time. Um, and so in a way, this is just another DO2 medical, I hope, I think, uh, that's the way I'm thinking of it. And that's the way I'm trying to, that's the way I'm trying to kind of, kind of, you know, characterize it, position it for him. Um, but, uh, um, I'm going to actually drop off the, his part of the questionnaire, um, a week in advance of my appointment, you know, in the hopes that maybe he'll take a minute to review it 
just to become familiar. But anyways, we'll see how it goes. I'm, you know, I, I mean, I'm confident that I am healthy enough. I, I've, you know, I've considered all the situations and, you know, looked at my, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty active patient in terms of paying attention, paying attention to these things. And, uh, I know my situation and I'm confident that I am healthy enough to fly. Um, but now the doctor needs to agree on some level. And, uh, so, so that's got to happen. And there's this, this, there are kind of tiny, the good news about, you know, if you go to a, 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 an AME to get your like third class medical, all right, it's a much bigger risk in my view, right? Because, um, if there, you know, you see the doctor on a bad day, either a bad day for you or a bad day for the doctor, right? And they bust you. Um, now you're in a hole, all right? Because the process of getting out of that is much bigger, as I understand it, all right? Well, it involves a special issuance. Exactly. It, Whereas, can, it can involve a special yeah, issuance. Yeah. Whereas with my basic med doctor, who's not an AME, all right, he's just a regular old, uh, uh, you know, um, GP or whatever he is, all right, um, if he chooses not to sign the thing, it's not a bust, all right, it's, it's you know, it's something I should take seriously and consider what he says, but um, it, you know, if if I judge that he just had a bad day or he misunderstood something, I can either go back to him again or I can go to another doctor, I can do whatever I need to do. Um, it's a different kind of risk, and uh, so... Anyways, but I, having said all that, that's just my paranoia, and I think it's going to be fine. And uh, and after a week from Monday, um, I should be legal. Take my paperwork up to Sanford and show it to the FBO where I rent from. And uh, um, wow, just yeah. do do let us know so we can issue the alerts to the New yeah, England we, area. We'll have to publish a note. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I understand. And, and you know. I've got it, a draft all written for you. So, uh, anyways, and be sure be sure and show up with the uh, aircraft for your first flight with a full can of WD forty. I thought you were going to say malt liquor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's for after the flight. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I had a fun flight yesterday. Uh, my third flight with this instructor in this sequence, um, and. Uh, um, we actually, you know, well, we, we left the pattern the first time because we went out to the practice area to do air work. Um, and then we came back and worked the pattern for a while. The second flight with him, the second training session was a hundred percent pattern work. Um, and then yesterday we left the area, went to two different airports and, uh, um, and one is an airport that I'm familiar with that I'd flown out of way back when, um, called uh, Sky Haven in Rochester, New Hampshire, um, and did a few landings there, and then went um, sort of back up north. You know, to me, it's north. It's one of these deals where, to me, it's kind of to the north, but it's actually to the east, um, and that is to uh, Biddeford, Maine, which uh, is a is a new airport in my logbook, which I haven't, I've had one of those, obviously, in a long time, so uh, I... Uh, I got, and may well be. I need to go back through my logbook. I may well yesterday have landed on the narrowest runway I've ever landed on in my life. Um, and the good news is that it didn't. That didn't even occur to me when we were landing, when we were flying. I mean, that I just is like good news. you know, there's the airport. There's had a little bit of hard time finding the airport. That was a different thing, all right, because it's a pr- relatively small airport in the woods. Um, and uh, uh, but but then once I found it. Um, the landing part was fine, and uh, I, I mean, I had no problem. I don't know. I always had this vision of a really narrow runway, and oh my gosh, can I, am I going to be able to keep it tracking on the pavement? And you know, kind of silly things like that. That's and, when and, center line practice is really yeah. Well, comes and I, in. 
kind of pays off. Yeah, my instructor is he's he's a pretty good instructor and a pretty 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 I don't know how to characterize it broad based. He does a lot of different kinds of training, one of which being um, tailwheel. Um, and, uh, the, the few hours of tailwheel I have are actually with the same instructor. Um, and so he's all, even though we're flying a, a tricycle gear 172, he's really big on, you know, keep your feet moving, keep your feet moving, you know? And so I've gotten, even in just th- three flights, I've gotten, I think, I feel like I've gotten a lot better at that. Um, so anyways, yeah, we landed in Biddeford and, uh, it was, it was, you know, the, the, the size of the runway was just not even an issue. It didn't even hardly occur to me at the time I just landed. And the weird part at Biddeford was there's no taxiways. So it involved back taxiing, which is another first for me. Maybe I'd have to think about that. Um, but, uh, anyways, so congratulations. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it's going to be cool. Now I'm trying to figure out what's my first kind of, you know, personal flight going to be when the time comes. But, uh, um, but we'll, we'll figure that out in a couple weeks. Um. So anyways, um, what else here? Um, so I've yes. gotten onto a little bit of a thing recent, recently, excuse me. Uh-oh. Now, I, and, and I, and I don't know whether this may have been something that the general listenership hasn't heard because we may have talked about it in the after show, but I'm going to, I'm going to, if it was in the after show, I'm going to like bring it out into the open here. And that is that, that I've been talking a lot lately about, um, airport identifiers. All right. And we talked was it? Did we talk about it in the regular? Hang on, let me look at last week's show notes here. What do we got here? Uh, did we talk about IDs in the main episode or in the after show? Uh, I don't remember. Do you guys remember which it was? I don't remember either. Yeah, hang on. Let me just look at the. I'm actually not looking at the show notes. I'm looking at the uh, the uh, list here. Well, whichever it was. Whichever it was, um, we talked about the fact that uh, airport codes and they change over time, and why do they change over time? Um, and uh, um, and I did a little bit more research. And so, first of all, I'll tell you my little bit research. So, one of the ones that I've been I've been kind of fascinated by um, the subject of airport codes with the character O in it, like Oscar, um, versus uh, a ze- the numeral zero. All right. Um, and uh, and I, I've you know we talked about the fact that I find I've often found it confusing when I'm looking at an identifier whether or not that's a zero or an O, and so uh, I went digging around into it, and uh, and I found a lot of examples similar to this, but this is kind of an an extreme one. If you look at the second link in the show note, the one that goes to my tweet, um, there's two airports in California. Um, one of them is Baker Airport, which is sort of in Southern California. It's it's in it's to the east. It's out in the Mojave Desert, Baker, California, and the code for Baker Airport is zero Oscar two. Now um, you could travel about four hundred miles north ish from Baker, California, to an airport called Nervino, which is near a town called Beckworth, and Nervino its airport code is Oscar zero two. So you've got two airports in California. One is zero Oscar two, and the other is Oscar zero two. And I just think hilarity ensues. <laughs> yeah, I know, huh? I it's know. It's good they're separated by a couple of feet. I know. I, well, and I plan one of these days I'm going to go out and visit visit my friend Drew with one Drew Drew with the one seventy two, and uh, 
and I'm going to arrange. We're going to take some a, time. You should do a cross country between the two of them. That's my point. We're going to yeah. do exactly yeah. that. All right. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that uh, I don't know. At least we'll have the bragging rights of putting that in the logbook. Um, but so we got zero Oscar two and Oscar zero two Baker and Nervino. Um, listener Ken Ullery, um, uh, and I say his full name because he posted this on Twitter. Um, um, followed up to this. And uh, I, had, I had described this whole thing as my ongoing obsession with airport IDs. And he said, to help feed your obsession, um, he says, per the current FAA landing facility database, he says, there are 211 airports with both a zero and an O in the identifier. Um, also another 105 heliports, two seaplane bases, and one ultralight field. He says, none of these facilities have ATC towers, which actually makes sense because I think a numeral can only be in a non-tower. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not 100% sure that's true now that I stop and think about it. But uh, so O's and zeros in the same ID are not uncommon, apparently. Um, and uh, let's see now. What else about this? Uh, I don't know. I just, I mean, do you guys know anything more about? Oh, there was one other note. Where'd it go? Somebody else had another note. Where did it go here? Uh, there was something about there's a rule about this or something like that. Uh, let's see now. No, somebody, uh, I don't even have it here anymore. Someone quoted an FAR or an, or an FAA policy or something like that. Um, that, is this it here? No, I can't find it. That, um, that, um, you can't put, oh no, it had to do with tail numbers. That's what it was. Tail numbers can't have the letter O in them is what somebody wrote. Um, they can't, um, I wish I could find that reference. The I and the, and O are not to be used in an N number. In an N number. Yeah. Okay. So you can have a zero and a one in the N number. The N number cannot lead with a zero. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I told the story before about uh, one of the regulars at Palo Alto back in the day, um, who flew this sporty little I don't know what maybe a, a, a you know acroplane or maybe it was a, one of the early RBs or something like that, but uh, um, and his nickname was Moose. People called him Moose, and he managed to get the N number on his airplane to be something like M zero zero three Echo or something like that. Mm-hmm. All right, the point is it was sort of sort of looked like the word Moose. And uh, and he would identify himself in the pat when in in the airspace, you know, and, um, you know, he'd say, you know, Moose is over slack with land, landing with with kilo or you know whatever. Um, and the, then the local controllers knew who he was, and so that worked fine. Um, I, I like to believe that Moose, you know, used more appropriate radio, you know, procedure at unusual at strange airports, but. Uh, Anyways, you'd like to believe <laughs> i believe that but i've never i don't know i never came across him outside away from palo alto but i have vivid memories of him many times you know and calling in and saying moose is here you know or, you know um and they go on the loose and they say okay and uh, work just fine um there's another testament to the fact that controllers are for the most part pretty cool people they um you know all right well that's enough on that that's way more than enough on that what else is going on here um what is this email thread? So this next one, this is very complicated. I just barely understand what's going on here. Yeah. Um, I get the feeling that you guys have looked into this a little bit more, perhaps. Let me see if I can summarize it, and then you correct my summarization, because I'm sure I'm going to get it wrong. Um, so as we know, 
um, ADSB requirement is looming, um, and uh, and we're reached. We're coming to the point where aircraft, in order to fly in certain areas, are going to have to have ADSB out. Um, and um, and this is uh, Brian, uh, listener Brian H um, sent in this question, a somewhat long question. I'm going to try and read um, just a first couple of graphs here, just to get it going, and then we'll talk. Um, out here in the West, he says we often see notams for planned GPS outages. Indeed, I have experienced GPS outages in SoCal and Nevada in my day job flying an A320. He says I'm that's equipped with INS. Um, a short term, so as a result, a short term GPS outage is not much of a concern. However, he goes on, for GA, a GPS outage can be of a concern as it has implications for ADSB out required effective January 2020. It's my understanding that um, in early July, the FAA published a policy interpretation um, stating that it's the pilot's responsibility during pre-flight to verify that a reliable GPS signal will be available to their ADSB out units for reporting position information, which I guess makes sense. That's, that's kind of reasonable, I think. That's my. That's Jack adding that. Um, back to Brian here. Um, if a pilot is found operating without a reliable GPS signal for ADSB out to report the required position information to ATC, he or she can be found to be in violation. He finally goes on to say, after GA groups raised a concern, the FAA responded that we need not worry since all certified ADSB out equipment is WAS capable. Um, they also stated that they had a website pilots could check out to keep up with GPS outage notams. Um, however, what does it mean? And this is kind of gets into the meat now of the question. However, what does it mean when the NOTAM specifically states that it applies to WAS and ADSB? Further, the last time I went to the FAA's website, there was no information. Um, so, uh, is this a legitimate concern? Is there, is there a potential problem here, or is uh, what do you think? Well, the uh, the requirement to check GPS integrity goes back to an earlier TSO GPS, not the TSO 166B that's in effect for the WAS GPS that you need to comply with the ADSB out mandate. There were IFR GPSs before the WAS GPS, and they had something called RAIM, I believe it was. And it was a way for the box to check the integrity of the GPS signal. and alert you if it something went wrong with it so that you didn't try to fly an approach with it not being 100% up to speed. Uh, those GPS uh, boxes are not legal for uh, ADSB out. That's an earlier TSO. I don't remember the number of it off the, hand, off okay. the top like I do the new one. But uh, if you're... Was compl- if you're was if you are ADSB compliant using a WAS GPS, the that requirement doesn't apply. It didn't apply before. It was just confusing. People picked that out because there's some people out there still flying around with the uh, older IFR GPS uh, in their in their panel, and some of them are using an ADSB out solution that has a blind WAS GPS. Uh, feed it's not usable for navigation but it feeds the uh it feeds the uh particularly the uat boxes the universal access transceivers like the uh little wingtip thing it's got its own gps bu- built into it and, uh, 
same way with the uh, the, the tail beacon, uh, and there are other models out there that do that. Uh, so th you're not using that for navigation anyway, and there's no way for you to check the integrity except to go into the setup. So, and it has to work with your mode mode C transponder. Uh, that's the other thing in, in play here, is that that transponder's got to be uh, functioning at a, at, at a higher level than some of the really old ones do today. So uh, I just answered a question for a reader of one of my magazine clients, and he uh, was trying to equip his, uh, his uh, uh, Cessna, I believe it was a 206, wanted to know what ADSB out solution he needed to fly internationally. Well, that's easy. It's got to be a 1090 extended squitter mode S transponder. The UAT is not accepted outside the United States. Uh, so what's a guy to do? Well, come to find out he didn't have a, a, a WASP GPS either. So he either needed a 1090ES solution with the engine built into it or able to add to it, or he needed a WASP GPS navigator. And he was looking for a bargain. And if he's going to fly international, the bargain list gets really short because you've got to yeah. have that 1090ES. Yeah. But let me just make sure. Let me Before I let Jeb talk, um, let me just clarify here. So I, I think the assumption here, though, this is not so much about how the airplane is equipped. Um, I, think, I think that the given or the assumption in this question is that your airplane is effectively equipped. All right. The question is, what happens if there are blind spots in in the the you know underlying the ADSB so to speak uh, to or you mean like the when GPS. we get one of those notices that says yeah there's going to be a, a chest in this area there's right. going to be an outage right uh, is there a blind spot here that um, a pilot might um, have a hard time or, or or be impossible to know that that it's not that they shouldn't be flying in a, it's illegal for them to fly in a particular area. Um, and I don't know if Jeb, you want to go first, but I, I give you a chance. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I don't have a, I don't have a real answer for anyone right here. Um, the only comment I would add relative to what Davis said is it harks back to ADSB and, um, and I know Dave knows better than this because we've, we've had this discussion, but uh, a lot of people think that ADSB requires WASP GPS. ADSB requires a nav, a, a position finding system that meets certain parameters. ADS, I'm sorry, GPS with WASP enhancement happens to meet those requirements. Other technologies may meet them also. They're just not as in widespread use. Yeah, because almost all of the others are far more expensive than WASP GPS. Exactly. exactly. I mean, okay. you could use an inertial navigation system, uh, which are highly accurate uh, and extremely expensive. Uh, none of the airlines and other business jets that I know of with ADSB out solutions approved for them are using anything but WASP GPS. Mm -hmm. uh, because... WASP GPS also happens to give you a really inexpensive navigation system that's approved for precision approaches mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in addition to pretty much unlimited in-route 
point to point. Go direct navigation as long as the airspace people can handle you. Right, uh, right. But Jeb's so, absolutely right. It, it, the the position source or the data source has to meet a performance standard. Wasp right. GPS meets that performance standard. Well, it's also the least expensive solution. Now, will my will my panel mounted GPS or my even my ForeFlight GPS, my iPad GPS? Um, clearly, it, it would tell me if there was no GPS signal, right? It would say, I don't know where you are, right? It would say, no location known. And that basically is a sign, right? Right there, that's a warning that you're probably not. Well, it probably has a screen that shows you how many satellites it can see. Okay. Uh, all the portables I've ever used had that. Matter of fact, some of them showed it to you while it was booting up. Uh, they, they boot up much faster today, so a lot of people may not even notice it going by. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, there's there's indications in most of those. Uh, Do the ADS none of those none of those are approved for this kind of work? Okay, so let's go. Let's do the, so, uh, whatever ADSB out device you are using. First of all, does it have a display in the cockpit? And B, does does that display put up a red flag? You know, I mean, just like I've, I'm not an instrument pilot, but I've seen these things where you know when your VOR is not receiving, it puts a little flag or something across the instrument or someplace that says you know no 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 you don't have it. All right, um, does the GPS does the ADSB out have a similar warning flag? Maybe. Depends yeah, on the hard. It depends on the hardware. Depends on the yeah. depends on the hardware, right? Because aren't there some of these that are really trivial? Like what are these tail light ones I've seen that, that basically you, or, or, or 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 wingtip, yeah, you know, which light not, ones. Not coincidentally, just got STC. Um, a typical uh, a typical nine seventy eight installation is probably not going to alert you to a WAS or GPS general gps failure um typically because we're talking about a black box installed in a tailcom somewhere that um links to the transponder and the antenna the in- and the transponder antenna so there's there's no display per se uh for the pilot to see alert okay um other transponders an all-in-one transponder with um uh, ADSB in it uh, probably does have some kind of alert mechanism. I uh, um, many well, both of you know. Of course, I've got the the, the NGT nine thousand with its own screen and and, and all that kind of uh, fra And um, I have seen it give me degradation alerts that are momentary, which might probably just on the ground taxiing. Um, but uh, I've never seen it give me any kind of a of a alert that says, "Hey, you know, you're screwed. Uh, bend over, kiss your butt goodbye." Um, and I've never had a real complaint from ATC on any of those points either. Um, while we've been talking here, I've been kind of surfing a little bit. There's um, an article um, on AOPA's website. Uh, that I haven't really had a chance to read in depth, but I'll, I'll send you all a link here to it. Um, it's from June, uh, and uh, basically it concludes that AOPA is not happy with the way the FAA is, is dealing with this issue, uh, and there is a working group that has been established with in, in which, I guess, AOPA is participating that 
um, is going to come up with some kind of a, quote, answer, unquote, to some of these questions. Uh, I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know when that's going to be. And I'm not suggesting that this particular um, web page, web story on, on AOPA's website is dispositive or mm-hmm. is the only voice on this issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, folks that are using an ADSB out solution that is informed by a GPS navigator, a WASP GPS navigator in their panel. Uh, that navigator is going to tell them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's just part of the TSO. It's going to tell them. Some of the early UAT solutions, universal access transceivers, which use your mode C transponders, uh, uh, they had to have a separate control head so that you could make sure that the so you could match the squawk that ADSB is giving the controllers to the squawk that you set in your mode C transponder but that was inconvenient people didn't like it and some of those little boxes had an alert light on it that said your signal is not right but that's all it did was say that your signal going out is not right it didn't tell you why uh but those have pretty much disappeared uh, now the popular UAT solutions, uh, that work with your mode C transponder, uh, they are straight up, uh, you, the, the, the box detects the squawk code that your mode C transponder is set to and adopts it for the ADSB out, uh, uh squawk. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to set anything. You, right. you, you set the transponder, and that takes care of it. Right. Uh, and the, the uh, tail beacon and the Uvionics uh, wingtip beacon and Garmin's GDL82, which is the little box that goes in the line between the transponder and the antenna for the transponder, uh, which has its own GPS built into it, uh, that's also uh, – uh, no, no second code setting required. It, right. it, it detects what your mode C transponder is set to and rebroadcast it. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know. There, there's there's two additional things I'd like to add here. One yeah. is there's two articles I came across here. Um, one is on AvWeb. One is on AIN. Um, both are from uh, June-July time frame. Um, and... Um, both, I guess, reference um, a uh, an FAA statement, policy statement issued in June, apparently. <clears throat> Quote, the FAA will not consider aircraft noncompliant with the ADSB out rule during periods of GPS performance degradation that are outside the operator's control. The circumstances are identified in the policy and are valid provided the operator has exercised appropriate due diligence prior to conducting an operation. Um, the article on AvWeb goes on to say, as long as operators exercise, quote, due diligence, unquote, in determining GPS and therefore ADSB out coverage prior to launching, the FA says it will not dock pilots who experience unexpected GPS glitches. Um, hmm, yada, yada, okay. yada. Now, the uh, AIN story... Uh, I haven't had a chance to parse yet either, um, but um, there, 
uh, with so many other um, things that the FAA might um, uh, uh, create an enforcement action against a pilot, a lot of it depends on how much um, planning the pilot put into this. For example, did he or she look at GPS outage notams? Did he or she um, um, run the rain prediction? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the, the full and final answer here, but I think um, it's something that's finally going to be negotiated between the FAA and industry. Right. So... I don't know. Maybe it's because, maybe it's just because, you know, as I'm now returning to flight, um, this is more on my mind, um, you know, I expect to go flying, but maybe it's because we're getting kind of really starting to finally get to January, 2020. Um, it, you know, it seems to me the time has come to, for people like me anyways, to start seriously internalizing what these rules are and what, mm-hmm. what, you know, how this all works. Um, I'm sitting here thinking that I, I actually don't, off the top of my head, know how, where can I fly without, where am I required to have the ADSB out? How do I look that up? Is it everywhere? It's not everywhere, I, as I understand it. Um, how do I know my flight from Sanford to Biddeford, Maine is, you know, is is required or not required, for example? Um, well, there's a couple of answers to that. One is... Um, what airspace are you flying through? If it's if it's real right. airspace, if it's a class um, Charlie or Bravo, then then yeah, it might be an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're within the thirty mile, uh, used to be mode C veil, and it's going to be the ADSB veil around class Bravo, might be an issue. If you're above ten thousand, it might be an issue. Okay. Um, well, th- I mean, and those are perfectly good, right. um, um, you know, parameters. Uh, that's <clears throat> that's an envelope that I can work with just fine. Sure. Um, is it that simple, or are there other? Is there air? You know, will be chartered. I guess is my question. Uh, well, the, the the other answer is um, your pre-flight planning should involve looking at notams. Yes. And and among the notams, you know, if you like me, you're going to use ForeFlight, so it's going to pull up every notam that is that is. Um, remotely relevant to you and those will include gps outage notams uh what you do with that information is another matter right because uh there's a high mego factor involved um but um i the one thing that i i come across here on this alpa article is use of the phrase stop buzzer yeah. Okay. This is a, um, as I'll, I'll just read this paragraph. As a stopgap measure, AOPA is advising pilots that when an in flight loss of GPS reception degrades flight safety, the pilot in command should notify ATC to, quote, stop buzzer, unquote, a phrase used to immediately halt a GPS interference activity. In parentheses, a pilot invoking stop buzzer should first ascertain that it is the GPS signal, not onboard equipment, that has faltered. Um, I don't have much else to add at this point. Yeah. Except to, to, this clearly can be an issue. It's it's not an issue everywhere. Um, 
it can be an issue everywhere. Um, generally, these these uh, outages are announced. Um, generally, ATC knows about them. Um, then we have to start back at square run, square one, and say, why are there GPS outages to begin with? Yeah, well, that's another question altogether. Um, yeah, we should move on here. Yeah, um, yeah, we we'll, 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 this. We'll, we'll we'll do more. About we'll this we'll do future. more research on this, and and uh, yeah. I, I I committed to the two of you to kind of take this as a project for a lot of different reasons, and I yeah. ha- have have sorta of and kind of sorta of have not uh, followed up and on that. So. I've accumulated a whole bunch of links that you guys have provided here. Let's see now, um, David. I got the one that you sent about um, ADSB rule airspace from the FAA. Um, Jeb, I got one from you, um, FA.gov, um, uh, aircraft certification, anyways, whatever that one is. I've got this AOPA one. You, I think you made reference to an AIN article as well. Right. Uh, I just closed that window. And if you're able to send me that one. And folks, what I, I think what I'll do is um, in, in, in maybe in addition to or instead of simply putting all these links in the show notes, I may create a special page uh, on our website with a link to it from the, the show notes or something like that. Um, well, there's a rule of thumb that uh, a, a local friend of mine, who's a, a, an air traffic controller, gave me. But I didn't ask the question, uh, but we were at, at a place where adult beverages were being shared, and, <laughs> and uh, one one of the shocked people shocked in there to hear that you were hanging out at such a place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, not not Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, uh, but the uh, question came up for this guy. I said. <laughs> Where is ADSB going to be required? The guy said, I'd read all over the place, you know, and, and and the controller came back with this. He said, rule of thumb, if it requires mode C now, it requires ADSB. Yeah. Well, is it that simple or, or is it bigger than the old mode C requirement? Well, but the, the answer for mode C is bigger than that, but it's the same airspace. And you can look it up, uh, that link that I sent you, uh, has a chart when you scroll down mm-hmm. that's as, about as easy to see as anything okay. you're going to get. All right. I'll take a look uh, at that. But I, I, let, let's move on here for now because this is like, Certainly. Yeah. Just don't get lost. Yeah, well, yeah. Why, why not Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday? No, I know why, but I, I'm surprised that he even... Oh, 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 never, <laughs> never mind, never mind. I understand. That's an inside personal joke. I it, get is, it, so. it is, it is, it um, is. Okay, never, anyways, never mind. Yeah, uh, it's nothing, nothing racy, folks. Don't get excited. It's just a personal joke, and we get it, and that's all. Um, this next thing, Expendables. So I was talking with a friend about uh, about the movie. We were talking about airplanes in movies. I forget exactly how this all happened. And, and one, a movie that came up was a movie called The Expendables, which is this sort of, uh, um, it, it's sort of, I don't know, um, Die Hard meets Rambo meets, I mean, literally almost, because it's got Bruce Willis and, and Stallone and whatnot. Expendables, all right? A bunch of old guys who used to be superheroes and are now back into the, th- into the swing of things. And, we were, and the reason this came up is we were talking about the airplane that they were flying. And um, the person I was talking to said, and I'm not really familiar with this movie, except by title and reputation, but um, my friend said, yeah, it's an albatross. And so we, we looked up, we Google searched um, Expendables Airplane um, in the images section of Google. Um, and that's the link I gave you guys. Uh, and, and it produces a bunch of pictures of airplanes, some of which I recognize as being um, albatrosses. 
um, but some of which are are captioned as being expendables airplanes, but don't look like albatrosses to me. Um, and I, I, assuming you guys are looking at the same collection of pictures as I am. Yeah. Um, one is a CL-15, the, the uh, Bombardier. Um, yeah. Uh, um, and that's... That's a water bomber. Yeah, that's generally a water bomber and generally has the scoop in the belly. Uh, I'm sure there are different variants that, that don't. Um, but, so, but the other one is indeed an, uh, uh, one of the ways you can tell is the squared off, uh, uh, vertical stabilizer is the CL215 versus the rounded vertical stabilizer is the, uh, uh, um, oh, okay. Albatross. Yep. But now in these pictures, assuming you guys have the same group of pictures, um, I'm looking at the picture in the, f- the first picture in the fourth row, which shows two guys walking away from the nose of an airplane with with shark teeth on it. You see the yeah, picture I'm talking I see about? That. I see what, that. What airplane is that? It's not a Grumman Albatross. And that's what I'm saying. Okay. That is a good question. Um, that might be... No, it's not. I was going to say that, that might be a... a um, no, it's not that either. Is that a De Havilland Buffalo? I don't think so. It might be. I think the buffalo's got an even more pronounced slope after oh, the Oh, you know wing. what? So if you t- click on that image, it gives you a bunch of other related Oh, images, okay. And it's, it's an Antonave in 26B. That's what I... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a I'd have never guessed that one. I'd have, never gu- I'd have never guessed that off the top of my head either. Yeah. But now that's, I believe... Well, the, car- the caption says that's from the Expendables 3 movie. Maybe they've had multiple movies and multiple airplanes. Do they wreck the airplane every single time? And I'm not time? even yeah. familiar with this film. Yeah, it's, I, I'm like I said, I've never seen it, but I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with it. I'm trying to figure out how to Oh, it's one it. of those Stallone-Schwarzenegger mashups. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. They, they were, what, special ops guys. and Yeah, but, but aging special ops guys who are... Why in the They've world? They've gone into private practice. Yeah, right. Hang on a second. I'm just I'm trying to capture this picture to maybe use it as the in the show notes here, and it's fighting me. All right, I've captured it now. All right. And so, if, if anybody's interested, the, there is another CL from Bombardier called the CL 415, mm-hmm. which is a bigger, badder version of the 215. It uses PT6 engines and carries a lot more water and can basically fill itself up in about a 10-second skim across the surface like you see in the pictures here. It's got a scoop on the bottom that opens up and another one on the top that opens up backward, and it creates a vacuum in the uh, water oh, yeah. storage tank. To draw water in more quickly. Yeah, yeah it draws it in big. And, and the uh, scoop on the bottom, it's got to be some of the heaviest aluminum I've ever seen. Well, I would imagine there's a lot of forces on it. I would imagine. Oh yeah, the pressure on it. Yeah. So there are there are three Expendables movies: 2010, 2012, and 2014. And now I think we need to go further into the research. Yeah. Maybe there's a four coming also. And we need to figure out whether they've got the same airplane each time, or if there's different airplanes each time. Well, I'm going to assign that plot project to you. To me, okay. I thought maybe for a second. Like, oh, Jeb's going to take it. Jeb's going to take it. Oh, no, he didn't take it. All right. Okay. All right. And there's, I a, will there's take... a rumored Expendables 4 that may or may not be under in production. All right. All right. Well, I, I will I will take it as a project to collect information about the airplanes of the Expendables. And I imagine uh, you can get all three on Netflix. 
Uh, I'm not sure about that. Or something, right? Yeah. So, anyways. Um, We're really reaching the end of our allotted time here. We haven't hardly even skimmed the surface of this list. What else? Look at the main part of the list, not the shout-outs. What should we not skip here? We've got an off-field landing. We've got two silly little things that I think I'm going to save for later. Um, We've got a callback thing. We've got this thing about wrapping your airplane. Um, We've got something um, about a runway incident simulator. Um, And we've got a French warbird museum. Pick one. Or none. Say, Say fork time. What's pick versus pick? PIC uh, versus PIC. And crossman yeah. technique. What are, what are those? Um, where are they or what are what, they? What uh, are they? They are uh, 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 bizarre um, hangar flying subjects that I was thinking we could talk about. And we may well in the future and or in the after show. Why not now? Um, because we're running short on time. And How long um, will it take? I don't know. All right. I'm going to pick one. You, the you one never I want. know with us. Here's the one. Here's the one that just came up last night. Okay. Here's my question. Um hypothetical pilot i'm making finger quotes hypothetical pilot all right has no medical all right um but is pursuing a flight review so is flying doing dual time with an instructor um this hypothetical pilot cannot be cannot act as cannot fly as pilot in command i can't go certainly can't go flying by myself if only because i don't have a um, um a flight review yet all right um but um, so obviously this is me. Last night, my instructor is signing my logbook, and he calls attention to the fact that in my logbook, we had logged the three flights, among other things, as dual time and total time, but we did not put the time in pilot and command in that column of my logbook, all right? And I thought that was appropriate because I'm not qualified to be pilot and command right now. And he pointed out to me, and I think he's right, but I want to hear you guys' opinion. He is right. That... I could log this as pilot in command, all right, because when you're pursuing a rating like this, or I don't know what their exact terminology is, but when you're doing training like this, um, you can log it as pilot in command, even though you're not qualified to to operate as pilot, to, to, to you know, act as pilot in command. Does what, that make sense? What Jeb, what Jeb said, yeah. Yeah. So think about a student pilot who hasn't taken the, uh, hasn't gotten his medical yet, but he can still take instruction and log it. He hasn't taken the written yet. He can't solo. But the medical, the student pilot, he's got to have that to solo. But he can still take instruction up to it while he's waiting to get the medical. Mm-hmm. But the question is, so I guess the point I'm trying to make here is, and I remember this being a subject we talked about back in my early days of being a pilot. This was kind of a real favorite topic about when pilots got together, is that the, you know, the definition of pilot in command, and and you know, and and the the general con- conclusion, although it's still a little slippery in my view, is that there's a difference between acting as pilot in command versus logging pilot in command. That's exactly right. Correct. Um, and uh, and that's simple. And so my, my CFI pointed out to me that I could put these three flights, I could, I could add the number to the pilot and command column um, legally. Um, and I don't know what difference that makes in terms of my logbook totals. It's just kind of a, 
I suppose if I was pursuing other comp- serious ratings, it would come in handy. But uh, it could um, make a difference in pursuing other ratings. It could make a yeah. difference in membership with some organizations. Oh, I suppose because uh, see, I don't. I, I just keep track of total time um, in terms of my you know flying experience. I, I don't itemize by by you know pilot and command versus you know solo versus dual versus whatever. Um, do you itemize cross country versus local? Yes, that I do. How do you um, distinguish the two? Cross country is to a destination, to at least one destination greater than fifty nautical miles. Okay. Is it there spoken also like a, a man who just went through a, I, I, I just went through a BFR? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, um, yep. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's look at at far. What is it? Sixty one fifty one. That's uh, the flight review one. Pilot it? logbooks. Oh, okay. And let's go down here. Nope, that's not it. Logging pilot in command flight time, oh, subsection cool. okay. E. Yeah. Um, you may log pilot in command flight time when, A, the pilot is the sole manipulator of the controls of an aircraft for which the pilot is rated. Mm-hmm. And we'll come back to that. When the pilot is the sole occupant of the aircraft, um, when the pilot acts as pilot in command, of an aircraft for which more than one pilot is required under the type certification. That's the exception of sport and recreational pilots. Um, when the pilot performs the duties of pilot in command while mm-hmm. under a supervision of a qualified pilot in command, provided yada, yada, yada. Um, there's some a bunch of other um, um, stuff. Uh, a student pilot may log pilot in command time only when the student pilot is the sole occupant of the aircraft or is performing the duties of pilot in command of an airship. Um, secondly, has a solo flight endorsement is required. Um, or three, is undergoing training for a pilot certificate or rating. Um, here's the punchline. Yes, you may log as your, your dual instruction flights as PIC, because you were the sole manipulator of the controls, or at least you may log that time during which you were sole manipulator of the controls. Right. As per- right. Yeah. The way I, I recently had an occasion to obviously go back through my log, not obviously, but I did in fact go back through my logbook. I was kind of revisiting some of my early flying. And uh, I'm going to do something about David's telephone. It's mine. Oh, it's yours. Okay. Sorry, David. Uh, last week it was David. Last episode it was David. Um um, my logbook, and, and, it, and it's done this way not because I really, really considered it. This is the way my original instructor set it up, and I just kind of kept with it, all right? And that was that um, when the time came for me to solo, we started making entries not in the pilot and command column, but we created a column called solo. Um, and so back in those days, there was a period of time back in the first, whatever, it took me a little over a year to get my private, um, where a whole bunch of, whenever I soloed, um, and of course I had to be signed off and all the good stuff like that. Um, uh, it was not do, it was just in the column called solo. And interestingly, I, I'd forgotten this, but, um, the first time there's a number in the PIC column was, um, was for my check ride. And, uh, and and that seemed to be consistent with what I understood the rules to be. So. No, that's not right. Really? No, so you can go back and add all your solo uh, student your student pilot solo time. Uh-huh. You, can, you, you can add all of that as pick. 
Well, that just basically makes virtually everything that I've done pilot and PIC logable, logged. Because I don't think there's anything that's not that, right? All the solo, not the not this pure dual. All the solo stuff. time. Someone's yeah. got to be piloting command when you're flying. Yeah, solo. I know. Well, and the way I always interpreted it was that um, that you know th- th- this was just a, a, a way of keeping the numbers separate and and making a record, and that if the push came to shove, we could total the solo and the PIC together, um, and and that would give us whatever total we needed for whatever reason we needed it. Sure. Um, you know, one uh, other thing. Let me let me. This is Uncle Jeb's rule of of logbooks. Yeah, you can log anything. I do. In you fact, can log. Yes. You can log seat twenty seven E on a seven thirty seven. Yeah, you can't do count that. it toward a rating. Exactly. I've always believed that. Um, my logbook has a couple of notable. A couple of times I flew to Oshkosh, even though I was mostly a passenger. Well, one time I was actually a passenger, and I just made a note, and it didn't put any time in the columns. Um, another time I was with a, a CFI friend in his airplane, um, and I did fly, in fact, some of that. Um, I wasn't actually rated to fly that airplane. It was a complex airplane. Um, but I flew in the right seat with him in the left seat, and I logged that. Um, but I, I don't remember. But I, I made special notation that this was a special case, and, you know, it's just may or may not count. And I believe recently I re tabulated my log books you know, or my log entries and and I did not put those into the total just because it didn't seem like they, I don't know for whatever reason mm-hmm. um, before we move on um, so uh, pilot in command um, there was a period of time where I was helping a friend who uh, we were both private pilots and he was an instrument student um, and he needed to do under the hood training um, in VMC um, obviously under the hood and um, and I acted as safety pilot mm-hmm. for him. Um, and this is an airplane I was legal to fly and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, even though I was sitting in the right seat, I logged that as PI, as pick. Um, um, was the uh, left seater rated in the airplane? Yes. Who was sole manipulator? Well... Uh, uh, he, I, he was, I mean, I never put my hand, I never needed to put my hands on the controls. Uh-huh. Um, I was basically had my head outside the cockpit yeah. and you logged that as second in command. Right. S- that's what it should be. As second in command. Okay. Second in well, command. It's also very carefully described in the logbook entry. So yeah. it's not yeah. confusing, but, yeah. uh, I did in fact log that as PIC at the time because, um, I was sort of the legal pilot, if you will. That's sort of my, I guess well, that was my thinking at the time. W- was you know, he not legal at all? He was he, but but he was under the hood. He wasn't really. That's he okay. Was, yeah, but he couldn't see. He couldn't. I forget the. That's why you're the safety pilot. That's why yes. you're log. That's why you can log it as second in command. Yeah. So it's second in command, not second, oh, okay. in, not pick. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's a whole long discussion of uh, somewhere uh, of that, and uh, I, well, I found one. Yeah, I, I just. We just touched on that in safety a month or so ago. I don't remember yeah. the exact details. Um, the uh, in you know, let's say in, in your BFR environment, um, since your BFR had expired, you're not legal to to serve as pick. To serve as yeah, right, yeah. I that but, I knew, but you are legal to log 
the time as pick because you were the sole manipulator of the controls. Okay. The first part I knew, the second part I'm now accepting, yes. Go ahead, David. To to log legitimately uh, PIC time as a safety pilot, first the two of you must agree beforehand that the safety pilot will be acting PIC for the flight. Relevant yes, bar on 6151, the irrelevant sections are EI and EIII. Paragraph EI says you may log PIC when you're the sole manipulator of the controls and you're rated in the aircraft. The other reference, EIII, says you may log PIC when you're acting as PIC of an aircraft under a regulation where more than one pilot is required. Yeah, okay. Bar 91.109C1 says that during simulated instrument conditions, a control seat must be occupied by a rated pilot for the aircraft. Put them together, and the sole manipulator can log PIC time, and the safety pilot acting as PIC can also log PIC time. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. I don't know. I just, see, this is the kind of stuff. Uh, this is like... I, I'm, you know, it's funny. Returning to flight this time more than uh, the other time that I returned to flight after a long off time, um, I'm I'm feeling a lot more of the uh, same excitement about flying that I had when I first started. You know, which by the way was um, uh, this past Sunday was the 29th anniversary of my private fi- pilot check ride. Um, yeah, I know, huh? Um, so. Uh, and I'm I'm just really having fun with this, and uh, and and uh, and part of that fun involves getting into this this arcane, weird regulation stuff. That yeah, <laughs> you know, and 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 you guys are going to be the victims of it all. So uh, how, how do you how do you feel like? How, I, I, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, is, that, is that a threat? Yeah. That's right. That's right. All right. Some of these things I'll push back onto uh, next year, next next episode's list. Um, but uh, in the short term, I'm going to say shout outs. Uh, I'm going to let you well, guys I, real out. quickly. I've got one. Yeah. Go ahead. Your instructor. Oh uh, yeah, my instructor. Good guy, Rich. Yeah. Um, whose last name I won't say because I don't know. But uh, um, uh, he, he's, uh, you know, I mean, I flew with him years ago when I was at Sanford and, uh, and that's why I went looking for him and I was pleased to see that he's still flying. He's one of these great, um, you know, it's like when I was younger, I would have called him an old CFI, but now it's like, <laughs> but now I'm an old pilot, so he's not really an old CFI, but, uh, you know, I mean, we're somewhat contemporaries age wise and, uh, um, but he's got lots of experience, man. He's flown all kinds of aircraft, and I believe he flew in the Navy way back when. And um, he actually, I didn't realize until just recently that he's got a little bit of a, of a, a central Northern California time, like I do. I'm familiar with some of that some of that uh, terrain. Um, he flew there years before I did, but uh, um, so uh, and uh, and he's 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 he, he seems like a very good instructor. I'm very comfortable with him, and uh, and he's you know not only made sure I was safe, but taught me a few things over the last few flights, and uh, um, and I, I expect to continue flying with him. Um, you know, both in terms of just kind of staying proficient, and also uh, I think maybe the next you know I mean I, now I'm gonna you know get my medical, do some flying, kind of build up some time, and kind of get more comfortable with the whole thing, and then. Uh, um, I think maybe the next thing I might pursue is to is to uh, um, return to my tailwheel endorsement training, um, which I did with him back then, and I'll probably do with him now. Um, so yeah, two think, words, two yes. words. You ready? Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Instrument rating. Yeah, I know. It's it's certainly on the list. Um, it's 
Yeah, okay. Uh, point taken. Good good advice, I know. It um, has practical applications. I know you it can, does. You can get to, to uh, the, the the pancake breakfast whenever when everybody else can't. Yeah, that's right. There yeah. you go. Yeah, you can yeah, you you will you will be qualified to abuse the system in ways that it just was not intended to be used. Yeah, yeah, okay. All yeah, right. Bite my shiny metal tail. Yeah. So yeah, shout out to CFI Rich. Thank you, Rich. Um and uh I'll be back. Um while you guys are sorting out the other shout outs, I want to do one bit of podcast business. I have a question for listeners and I just kinda of wanna um get some feedback. Uh, for about a year or two now, we have been um, enhancing the uh, MP3 files, the audio files that this podcast comes to you as, um, have um, metadata in them, additional information um, about the content of the podcast, some um, abbreviated show notes, um, and what's called chapter information, so that you can, um, if you're using a particular um, um, player to listen to this podcast, um, it will display the chapter information from the podcast as well as a little bit of other information. Um, and my question is, how many of you, are there people out there that are actually using this chapter information? Because quite frankly, it's a bit of a labor-intensive thing to uh, to accumulate and to input this metadata. Um, and, and if people are getting value out of it, I'll absolutely continue doing it. I have no reluctance to continue doing it. But lately, I find myself putting together this chapter information, wondering whether anybody really uses it, um, and uh, is it really all that useful. Now, I'm going to continue to collect chapter data um, information and put it in the show notes, which is a was a side effect, which is a very good side effect of this chapter. So we, if you look at show notes, they have um, every episode is broken down by both subject and, and elapsed time within the episode. Uh, we'll continue to do that. The question is whether or not do I, can, do I need to keep putting it as metadata in the mp3 file okay and and so if you could send me like an email or 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 twitter or something like that to let me know your your you know how you you know how you where you are on this question all right um and i think by the way the short answer if you don't even know what i'm talking about then you don't need this stuff right about it not yeah, yeah, you're not using it. Um, if you do know what it is and you use it, let me know that. And if you do know what it is and you don't use it, let me know that. Um, uh, quite frankly, let me know if you don't know what it is. That helps me too. That's data as well. Um, do, should I continue to, to go to the effort of putting the chapter's information as metadata in the MP3 file? That's my question. Thank you. Who's got a shout out? I'll give a quick one. Go ahead. Uh, this past Sunday, September 15th, was the 50th anniversary of the first flight of an airplane called the Fanjet 500, which a lot of you if, probably if, never whoa, whoa, heard whoa, whoa, of. Whoa, 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 If you know off the top of your head what airplane <laughs> fleet that now is has become known as, you win a free subscription to Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about it, David. So, well, maybe we should wait until next time. (laughs) Yeah, sure. The honor system. People will tell us. 50th anniversary of the Fanjet 500, which shortly thereafter got a new name called Citation. And that was the name of a uh, Triple Crown winner that was much admired in the world. Citation was a racehorse. And uh, Russ Meyer and the guys at Cessna thought that their uh, new little jet, the Citation 500 was going to be a big winner in the uh, general aviation market because it was designed to be an easy-to-fly, single-pilot jet. 
uh, and was easier to fly as a single pilot jet than the first uh, Learjet, the 23, which shortly thereafter became a two-pilot cockpit. But the Citation's been around now for 50 years, over 7,500 of them built, uh, 5,000 of them light jets. And I think it's arguable uh, that the Citation remade general aviation uh, flying like no other airplane of its era or since because it opened up the door to, for jet travel to a whole lot of people that uh, wanted to step up but weren't ready to tackle something like a Jetstar or a Lear. Uh, this was straight wing jet, still is. Most of the light citations, I should say, are. Uh, and they're everywhere. Yeah, there, there's so many of them around the <clears throat> world that there's almost no place on the world where you can go not find a citation service center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to throw in a second one real quick, 10, ten seconds. Mm-hmm. Piper has started an apprenticeship program for people that want to work in the construction and manufacture of aircraft uh, their first class started in august they're already taking applications for the 2020 class it's a two-year program it got a salary with benefits just like any other employee at piper uh, the email address will be with the link cool Cool. Um, the, I'm sorry, just to go back a second, the citation 50 years old. I, I have to admit, that's kind of, I was going, 50? Really? The citation is 50 years old? That was like back back in 50 years ago, the, the Wright brothers were still flying, you know, airplanes <laughs> with wing warping. And that, isn't that? <laughs> well, all, it, 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 all kidding aside, it, all kidding aside, 50 years is halfway back to that. In other words, yeah. for half of the yeah. entire history of aviation, the citation's been around. Well, Half in a, a ten or twenty, Little, but yeah, yeah. There, you know, there's some math involved. Yeah. Um, um, I guess my only comment would be, you know, the the, the Fanjet 500. You know, someone said, "Well, don't I need a, uh, a a type certificate for this?" And someone else said, "Well, only if you don't want a citation." <laughs> okay. Uh. <laughs> oh, I get it. I see what you did there. Uh, all right. I see. All right. Well, I'm still going to let you do a shout out if you want. All right. I'm, I'm done. done. Stick a fork in me. You're done. All right, then. <laughs> okay. okay. If, if you don't before I do. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Well, oh, man, we went a long time. This is going to be a long one. Sorry, folks. Um, uh, thank you, guys. It's always a blast. Uh, time flies when uh, when I'm talking with my two good friends here. Uh, one of those uh, is uh, Dave Higdon. Dave is a aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Avbuyer magazine. David, uh, quick, short version, what have you been working on? Oh, boy, a little bit of everything. Yeah, I know. Uh, the, uh... See, I yeah, tripped I'm him just, up by I'm saying short version. I'm just on a blank. I've, I've, yeah. I've, been, I've had my nose in this keyboard so much the yeah. last week and a half. I just, Tell us where where people can find some of the publications that you that write can, for on the web. That I can do. Uh, my work with Avbuyer Magazine, which is all business aviation, that's at avbuyer.com. Uh, and you don't even have to allow for the time difference between here and London. Uh, my work with Avionics News, AEA.net, click on the magazine picture, and uh, you can find my name in the, uh, in the uh, page, uh, contents page. Uh, I'm real Higdon on the Twitter machine, uh, and 
I do some sundry other stuff for a uh, luxury travel magazine called Elite Traveler. Uh, my next work will be out in, uh, with them in, a, in about a month. So have fun. Yeah. And on Twitter? Did you say that? I, I, yep. I think I did. All right. Real well, Higdon. Real Higdon. There we go. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Uh, and uh, and also uh, uh, the the always beautiful and lovely uh, Jeb Burnside. Is... <laughs> oh, you make me feel so fresh. <laughs> you know, Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb? Not a whole lot of anything. Uh-huh. Uh, I uh, I did finish up a project last week uh, that was I'd finished it and thought I'd sent it. And then towards the end of the week, I get a note from the editor saying, where the hell is this project? I'm like, Dude, I sent it to you like three weeks ago. No, it wasn't that long ago, but uh, we, we resolved that problem and uh, mm-hmm. have been moving on ever since. So, But right now, I'm uh, um, take, trying to take care of some things around the house. I actually, since we're going to have some decent weather here uh, in Florida over the next few days, I actually plan to go do some flying. Cool. And looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, getting geared up for the November issue of uh, Aviation Safety. Um, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, the uh, the January issue of Aviation Safety will mark forty years, or or, or our fortieth year uh, in publication. Wow! Uh, and yeah. I'm just kind of freaking out about that because that's just a long time. Um, and. Uh, Forty oh, years. Yeah, that's so, just that's just. I haven't been editor all that time, of course. The original editor was was Wilbur Wright, and uh, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, no. But, but, uh, well, know. that's yeah. No, I mean it's a yeah, uh, yeah. it is truly an institution of a, of a publication, and uh, yeah, I I remember reading Aviation Safety Magazine long. I think yeah. I wasn't even a pilot. I mean, for some reason, it just was in my. I didn't. I don't know how, but uh, I have old issues of of Aviation Safety Magazine when it was printed on you know kind of just paper, right? right? Yeah. Um, it was sort of a newsletter almost, uh-huh. right? Um, and uh, so yeah, it's obviously been around for a long time. Um, where can people find out about you and all this stuff on the internet aviationsafetymagazine.com for the magazine um you also find my byline and or uh, name and or you know why is this guy on our masthead kind of stuff uh at avweb.com you will find me at aea.net for the aircraft electronics association uh you'll find me at generalaviationnews.com you'll find me at aienonline.com uh, and on the Twitter machine, I'm Burnside J. Cool. Very cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Um, obviously, I've been working a fair amount on my flight review, both the flying part and also the thinking part, which I found very, very useful, by the way, to just kind of doing procedure practice in my head helps me anyways and so so that was a good thing um i continue to kind of work on a project to organize the ucap archives into a way that they can be more accessible and 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 more uh you know uh, uh interesting to listen to to find things and uh, more on that i hope sometime soon um and uh, and and various other projects that uh, maybe i'll talk about at some point um you can find me online in most of the uh most of the places out there by the 
the username Jack Hodgson. That's my first and last name bumped together. For example, YouTube slash Jack Hodgson, Twitter slash Jack Hodgson, Patreon slash Jack Hodgson. On Amazon, Amazon, you can search for my eBooks um, by searching for Around the Field in the Books section, and you can sign up for my email newsletter by going to my regular webpage, uh, jackhodgson.com. Um, you can support this podcast by becoming a patron for as little as $1 per episode. Uh, Reward-level patrons get exclusive access to the UCAP After Show. Uh, you can get more information about this um, and other ways to support the uh, podcast um, at uh, patreon.com slash uncontrolledairspace. You send us email at uh, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. That's an email address. Um, you can check up the latest UCAP news and all of the UCAP show notes are at the UCAP homepage at uncontrolledairspace.com. Uh, uh, and follow UCAP on Twitter um, at uh, twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's class with the letter G and then airspace. Uh, and so that's that. Uh, David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Well, there's one way to get as old and pretty as Jeb, and that's to spend as much time as possible flying, because as we all know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Hasta la vista baby <laughs> you get it yeah that was good that was good <laughs>